AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. It seems some people are not supposed to be alcoholics. Doctors, lawyers, airplane pilots, and teachers are certainly among this group. Teachers in particular are sometimes seen as larger-than-life role models, and perhaps students, parents, and society as a whole place an unrealistic expectation on them, setting them on a pedestal that only creates more stress for an educator who's dealing with substance abuse issues. Today's episode will feature a conversation with Sam S. from Lawrence, Kansas. Sam will share her story of recovery as a means for opening up a broader conversation about the unique issues that face teachers in recovery from substance abuse. We'll welcome your participation either through your comments on YouTube or in our private Facebook group, and you can call us at 844-899-8278. But before we get into that, let's say hello to Angela over there in our satellite office in Boise, Idaho. Angela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to hear you, and it's really nice to hear from Sam. I'm excited. Yeah, Sam is, uh, you know, she she lives uh, in, actually now in southeastern Kansas, although she's temporarily in Lawrence now, And uh, but I've been seeing a lot more of her lately on our online meetings, which is nice. How have your online meetings been going over there in Boise, by the way? Um, they're going pretty well, still to a week, and uh, yeah, we're enjoying them. Good. Well, before I introduce you, Sam, um, I want to talk about an email that I got, uh, that we got about, I don't know, three weeks ago. And it came from, um, oh gosh, I think it was Lisa M. And she uh, wanted to tell us about a possible origin of that slogan, think, think, think. And she says it came from IBM. And what happened, there was a Thomas J. Watson, who was the head of IBM up until 1956, and he happened to be attending that dinner that the Rockefeller at the Rockefellers that Bill Wilson attended where he was trying to get money for his big book project and so forth. And Thomas Watson, he donated like $250, which was quite a bit of money in, at that time. But anyway, he came up with this slogan for IBM that was called Think. And he actually um, got it copyrighted or trademarked as a slogan in, on June 6th of 1935. And apparently in the 1950s, it became a uh, marketing slogan for IBM and it was picked up by AA. And I read in her email that apparently at an AA conference, this IBM slogan was put in one of the pamphlets and that's how they came up with think, think, think. Interesting, huh? Okay. Wow, (laughs) that's great. (laughs) Whether or not that's true, you know, we'll find out. Uh, You know, we we may never know, but, you know, if somebody out there has another version of how uh, how that slogan came about, I'd love to hear it. Well, now... To Sam. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the AA history. I appreciate that as oh, yeah. a history teacher. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I never knew that. I always yeah. wondered what you taught. Okay, yeah. cool. That was always my favorite subject in school, too, by the way. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I wish I would hear that from more of my students. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why people don't like history. You know, to me, it's a, it's a story, you know, and I, I was always fascinated by it. But anyway. I, I love history, so. Yeah. 
So Sam, um, like I said, she, she was actually, you were actually attending the We Agnostics group in Lawrence, Kansas, before I even knew what a We Agnostics group was, I think, before we started our group in Kansas City. Yeah, um, the We Agnostic group in Lawrence um, had been going on for, gosh, it, it had been going on for several years when I first started in 2014. And um, I think we are, we've shrunk down to one meeting now. We used to have two, but um, we've really struggled with attendance at those meetings in Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. Our, and our group in KC has been doing pretty good. We have some of our meetings are bigger than others, but you know, um, and it's always nice to see you there, by the way, when you're able to make it when you're in town. And now of course, with our online meetings, I see you quite a bit, you know, it's always good. And those meetings are interesting, you know, we're, we're online, but you know, we're still getting new people to the meeting, you know, um, who've the, like their first meeting at our group has been this online meeting. This is really interesting. And there are people from like, you know, they're, they might be in Missouri or Kansas, but they're maybe a couple of hours away. So they wouldn't necessarily drive into our meeting. And the last meeting you met someone who was a teacher and you guys had something in common and you suggested, you know what? Let's do a podcast about teachers. Right. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. So let's start, Sam, by um, you want you to share your story. And, you know, maybe from there we can uh, a conversation will flow. And, you know, I'm sure that there will be people out in the audience who um, might have experiences as teachers or maybe even another occupation that have unique issues. So, Sam, the floor is yours. Okay. thank you. So my story, um, I was born in Topeka. I grew up out in the country outside of Topeka with my my brother and my parents. Um, Really had a very nice childhood, spent a lot of time in nature, was a bit of a loner out there. But um, my parents did drink, um, not extremely heavily, um, but daily drinking was kind of the norm in my household. And um, my parents' marriage was kind of dysfunctional, um, and some of the fighting was sometimes about dad's drinking. But um, so my parents got divorced when I was seven, and my brother and I moved with my mom down to southeastern Kansas to a really small town where her family was from. Um, And that was a very kind of idyllic place to grow up as a kid as well. But after a few years, we did end up moving back to Topeka into the city this time. And it was around that time that I really started acting out. Um, When I was 13, I met my first boyfriend and he lived nearby. And so we started sneaking out at night to see each other. And that was the first time I really remember uh, lying to my parents and um, getting away with it. Um, So it wasn't long after that when I was a freshman at Topeka High School in 2001 that I was introduced to drugs for the first time. So I started getting high and seemed to be getting away with that too. (laughs) So um, so around around that same time, I started raiding my dad's liquor supply. I don't exactly remember my first drink. All I remember is that my dad had a lot of liquor in his cabinets that looked really, really old. And I noticed he never really touched that. Like he had his other drinks of choice that he always drank and replenished. So I didn't think he would notice if these other ones were gone. 
And sure enough, he didn't. So that's how my friends and I started drinking was just taking shots of super old gin and other gross stuff. Um, and again, I'm not exactly sure how we got away with it because we would come home from school and take all these shots and be really drunk by about four o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, then parents would come home and somehow nobody noticed. <laughs> so <laughs> we just continued doing that. Um, so I started getting pretty involved in politics and through a political group that I was involved with, I made some friends who were in their 20s. So they kind of became my suppliers of drugs and alcohol um, during my high school years. And I started drinking alcoholically very quickly. Um, and not long after that, one of my teachers, actually my debate coach, pulled me out of class one day um, to ask me what was going on with me. And she thought maybe I was pregnant or something, but <laughs> I said no, and I told her I had been drinking a lot. And um, she called my mother, and my mother got kind of angry at my friends, but nothing really changed. But I do really remember that as a time where a teacher um, noticed something off with me in my personal life and made an attempt to reach out and help me. And that ended up being, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to get into teaching high school. Um, yeah, and I did get pretty involved in debate and, and other activities at school, and I think that kind of helped keep my substance abuse in check during that time, kind of keep it relegated to the weekends. Um, but then as I went to college, um, I went down the road to KU, um, I ended up um, choosing to study history, mostly just because I was really good at reading and writing, and I thought I would do well at it, and I did enjoy the subject. And I kind of thought of teaching at that time, but I actually ran into a lot of discouragement around that, about like just the job availability and the pay. Um, so I put off that dream for a long time. I kind of thought it was unrealistic. But I went ahead and got my history degree. Um, well, not right away, actually. I ended up dropping out multiple times, uh, mostly over uh, the math classes. I was really struggling to complete the math classes, which, you know, smoking a lot of pot and drinking all the time wasn't helping with that. I'm I can't sure. believe how much we have in common. That's crazy. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So um, when I was a sophomore in college, I met a guy that I ended up marrying. Um, we drank a lot together, did a lot of drugs together. Um, we had a really fraught relationship. We fought all of the time. I have no idea why we got married, but we did. And um, about a year into my marriage is when I reached out to a therapist. Um, I was really having this problem where I felt like I couldn't engage in confrontation, like at all. Um, whenever I would try to kind of speak up for myself, I would just get very emotional. And it was a huge problem for my relationship and sometimes at work. And it was just this huge source of shame and embarrassment. Um, so I reached out to a therapist because I actually thought she would be able to just like give me some kind of magic advice that would fix it right away. 
Um, but she ended up calling me in and, uh, we've been working together ever since. And she was the one who kind of got me into recovery. Um, so of course, like during my twenties, the drinking was getting worse. My tolerance was getting less. I was spending a lot more time being sick. Um, the marriage was not going well. Um, about a year and a half or so into my therapy, my therapist started to explain to me that if I didn't deal with my substance use issues, I probably wouldn't be able to make progress on anything else in my life that was bothering me. And I really resisted that for a while. I tried for about a year to control drink and we all know how that goes. (laughs) Um, Just constant failure and disappointment. Um, I really resisted going to AA because I thought it was a religious program and because I was kind of raised with this idea of just being independent and asking for help is weak and just take care of yourself. Um, But through my job that I had at the time, I actually met an old timer in AA who uh, befriended me and kind of saw that I needed help and would talk to me about AA. And so when I hit my bottom, he was actually the person who took me to my first meeting. And um, so he took me to a traditional AA meeting. And it was kind of funny because there was actually a girl there that I knew from high school who I had really looked up to and wanted to be just like her. And um, so it was really comforting to see her there. And Um, I remember the first thing that the first person said was, you never have to drink again if you don't want to. And um, that just shot right through me. And so I say that to people often in their first step meetings because it made such a big impact on me. Um, So, so yeah, I discovered the agnostic meetings. I got very involved with those. Um, I ended up changing jobs. I got into landscaping for a couple of years, and the physical labor was really great for me, I think, during that time. See, I think I met you when you were doing the landscaping thing, didn't I? Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's also the time where I met the person in AA who ended up being my math tutor and getting me back into school and helping me get my bachelor's degree. So that finally happened when I got sober. So at this point, you know, I've done a couple of things that I never could have imagined I was capable of finishing my degree and getting sober. Um, So I started revisiting this idea of getting into teaching um, because things started seeming possible again that always seemed impossible. And I just decided I was going to follow my passion no matter how hard it was and just figure out a way to do it. So I ended up finding a program through Fort Hayes that lets you teach on a restricted license in the subject area that you have your degree in while you take education classes. Um, So I've been doing that for the past two years. I've been teaching at a rural high school, and I am getting my master's in education this May. Um, I actually just finished my last class today. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Um, So, yeah, I I think that, like I said, 
wanting to get into teaching high school had a lot to do with realizing that my alcoholism really got started at that time in my life. Um, and I really wanted to be there for kids the way that my teachers were there for me and kind of try to help kids stay on track during this time where they're, you know, trying to figure themselves out and experimenting with different things for the first time. And, um, so you're so open with, you're open with your students about your, your, um, recovery. Um, I do not, uh, specifically tell them that I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Uh, they do like to bring up drinking and partying and kind of like get me to talk about it. Cause they assume that I, that I drink and they want to hear about that. And they're high school kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so I tell them that I don't drink and they find that really kind of fascinating. Um, so it's fun to be able to tell them like, yeah, like I have fun in other ways and um, drinking just makes you really sick and makes you act stupid and you can't even remember the good stuff. So um, yeah, it, it really helps me a lot in my recovery to know that I am being a role model of having a fun life without drinking and kind of being that example that I really needed when right. I was their age that I didn't really have. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, my drinking, like most of us got bad, I guess in high school, I mean, it was when I first, well, that's when I first started drinking really, I mean, on a regular basis and it, it started off bad and got worse from there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I remember a teacher that I really liked, um, and she was my English teacher. And I always had a lot of respect for her and I knew that she liked me and she never really said anything about my drinking or the way that I would, um, you know, act, but I could tell that she was kind of disappointed in me. You know, um, she, whenever, um, kids might make fun of my drinking or something like that, or make jokes about it, I could just see an expression on her face that just made me feel like there's something wrong with this. Of course, I would just, just dismiss that, you know, for the next drink. But yeah, so it would have been different to have a teacher that would just come over, you know, and talk to me. You know, um, I wonder if you ever recognize a student like that that you think might have a problem. I, I have, um, I do know of a student who is struggling. Um, it's been difficult to connect with that person, actually. Um, I, I think I have still been a little bit reticent to be really direct around that kind of thing, especially when it is based on gossip, you know, and not somebody asking for help. But, um, yeah, I probably should. Yeah, well, and then they, and of course, they have guidance counselors, too, at schools, too, I guess, that are, you know, that the kid could see... Too. Yeah, we actually don't. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah, our school is really small, okay. so our staff is is really limited. So it really is on the teachers to handle any kind of thing like that, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. Do you do you talk in um, you know amongst yourselves uh, with the teachers about any of these things? I mean, do you know is anybody out as uh, being in recovery? on the staff or do you guys not talk about anything like that? Um, 
there is one person on staff who, actually the custodian who I've <laughs> discovered is, we, we just through kind of chatting, um, we have kind of figured out that both of us are, are in recovery. And then, um, right. I discovered that he, he doesn't drink. He hasn't drank for a long time. And so I shared with him that I'm in recovery because I felt pretty comfortable, um, having that conversation with him. But outside of that, I have really kept it to myself, um, with the rest of the staff and the administration. Um, that's pretty much how I am in a workplace too. You know, I don't really bring it up. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, there's not a reason to really, you know, um, and for a long time, when I was first starting out, I wouldn't want anybody to know. I, j- I wouldn't. Now, if, if someone were to find out, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me, you know. But um, at that time, when I was first getting sober, I, I, I was, um, you know, it took me a while to get financially stable. So I, w- I always had a lot of fear that I could lose a job or something. And uh, so I, you know, and I think I carried that stigma with me longer than I should have. Yeah. I mean, if I develop kind of a a friendship on top of a work relationship and I feel comfortable, I'll disclose at that point. But um, yeah, it's it's a very small school and a small community. So things kind of, you know, hot gossip gets around fast. (laughs) So, by the way, Joe is asking what kind of history you teach. Oh, um, well, I'm the only social studies teacher for the middle school and high school. So I teach Kansas history, geography, current events, American history, world history, and government. Well, cool. Yeah. You know, I went to a small school. I went to, well, Lansing High School was small at that time. Um, There were 400 students in the entire school. There were 90 in my graduating class. Is that about the kind of school that you teach in? Um, no, there are less than 90 in the whole K through 12 oh my school gosh. where I teach. So <laughs> okay. this year we are graduating seven students. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Extremely small. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. And now you're online doing it. Yes, that's been, a, that's been interesting. How's that going? Well, you know, that we have some kids that, you know, live so far in the country that they really don't have a solid yeah. internet connection. So it's been pretty challenging I for bet. a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so tell me this, do you, do you think that um, it would be difficult for a teacher who, you know, someone, a, a teacher who's been teaching for a while and they have an alcohol problem that they've been hiding and now they, they're thinking they want help. Do you think it would be difficult for a teacher to get help um, for their drinking and to come out openly about it? I do. Um, part, partly because of what you mentioned in the opening that, you know, teachers are supposed to be role models. And so I guess that equates to being some kind of perfect person. Um, but in addition to that, I think teachers have a really hard time just like putting themselves first um, and taking time away from the job. Like I think they really struggle to take vacation time at all or, um, you know, for mental health or anything, because it's so difficult to be away and, you know, step away from your lessons and to write out substitute plans. And um, you just feel like you're really letting the kids down anytime that you're not there. So um, I think there is teachers put a lot of pressure on themselves to not miss work. So I think like going to a treatment program would be really challenging. 
Yeah, and it's not like it's just an eight-hour-a-day job either, is it? No, no. <laughs> so not at all. I could see how I could see how you know stress can pile up, you know, on somebody um, that's that's in that profession, you know, especially you know all kinds of situations in, in the inner city schools too, where you got so many problems. Definitely. I mean, you get so emotionally invested in the kids, and the stakes always seem really high, and if kids are not successful, it's really easy to kind of take that on yourself and, um, feel really terrible. And, and yeah, it's a very high stress job. And from what I've seen, like alcoholism does correspond pretty highly with, um, job stress. So I think a lot of teachers feel the need to blow off steam and it can get out of control. Yeah. Angela mentioned, uh, she reminded me, I think the, the last time that we, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before that, that you called in and you mentioned that you um, help your students with uh, mindfulness. Yeah, so that was something that I tried out last year. I got the principal to let me uh, do like an eight-week pilot program on uh, mindfulness meditation. We had this like 15-minute block in the middle of the day that was kind of used as a study hall. So I made my room a meditation room during that time so kids could come in and, you know, just sit or lie down and um, I do a guided meditation um, because there is a whole lot of study about how much mindfulness practice can, you know, improve anxiety and depression and um, academic stress and help kids perform better on tests and all kinds of benefits. And, and yeah. do they like it? They really did like it. I, you know, some of them wanted to just come in and take a nap, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I was fine with too. I mean, I think naps are beneficial as well, but some of them did come in and meditate and uh, really got into it. So I, I'm, I'd like to continue it, but I think it's going to have to be something that happens extracurricular now um, because they have kind of revamped the schedule and put that time towards more math remediation. So. Wow. Well, cool. I think it sounds like a great idea. And I know that there's, you know, several states uh, that are, are working on um, resilience um, and, uh, and being trauma informed. And so they're putting in meditation and things like that into um, their curriculum and schedules and, and everything. So I think that's going to be a cool thing in the future as we go on. Yeah, it can be really helpful with trauma, which is showing up more and more in the kids um, just to help with kind of impulse control and emotional self-regulation. Right. So, yeah. Bubbles Blonde, who I happen to know also as Brie, <laughs> has, a, oh. <laughs> has a question. Yeah, you know Brie. Yeah. And anyway, um, I'm going to start calling her Bubbles Blonde. <laughs> she says, do you find the kids are having problems concentrating due to isolation? She says her sister and Marilyn at the core of the infection. And she says the kids seem to be like losing hope. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been having a really hard time getting them engaged, um, over zoom, um, getting good discussions going. And 
I a lot of kids are doing next to nothing as far as their assignments go. But um, we, like many schools in our state, have decided to actually freeze the grades from the third quarter. So they can only improve on where they were at before. We're not going to lower their grades because we realize that so many kids really don't have home environments where they can reasonably study. They don't have quiet space. They don't have um, any kind of authority figure who is actually disciplining them to sit down and do the work the way that they do at school. So it's just kind of unreasonable um, for us to expect them to perform well. And it's going to be hard on them too. You know, if you're, if you're in a rural area and you know, you're, you're really isolated anyway, just because of the, there where you live. And the only time you really get to break that isolation is at school when you get to see your friends and your teachers and so forth. And now you don't even get that break. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them just tell me that they're really, really bored. Yeah. Tracy Rossman has a question for you. She says, do you think there'll ever come a time when we can talk openly about our recovery without shame and anticipating repercussions? She says, I'm seeing such admissions more and more in obituaries. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I, Personally, think that yes. I think that that more and more people are uh, coming coming out <laughs> as uh, being in recovery. Um, you know, there's there's some strong um, arguments within the the more traditional AA community about that and anonymity and and everything. Um, but there's also you know quite a few people that are are saying that you know anonymity is is killing people, um, and that you know by sharing that we're in recovery, um, it gives people you know someone to go to um, if they think that they have a problem. Um, and so I, I do think that it's getting um, it's starting to get you know um, less frowned upon. I think uh, as you know. At least in in my lifetime, I've noticed that um, there is a bit of a less stigma towards um, addiction and uh, substance use. I mean, there's a lot of language changes, which is part of, you know, why I think it's becoming more um, accessible and and okay. You know, again, it's also depending on where you live, you know, what that what that means Um, here, you know, where I'm at. I'm, I'm free to, to say whatever. And so at my jobs, I've, I've shared, um, depending on when it was needed, you know, I usually don't wear like, you know, an AA t-shirt or (laughs) anything like that, Mm -hmm. you know, or put it, you know, I don't answer the phone with that. And then the company I'm working for or anything. Um, but, uh, but I also, you know, um, if I'm asked about, you know, do you want to go out and do this or, you know, we're having a company party doing this, um, I would say that I don't drink. And if asked why, I'd say, you know, that I was in recovery. And, um, and but I also haven't had a job where, you know, like with teachers, there's, um, there's that, you know, teacher, parent, administration, whole uh, bureaucracy thing. It's, and, uh, and I can see that, particularly in a rural area, that that could be a problem. Um, so, you know, I was curious about um, if you guys talked to each other, like with the other teachers, um, to see if they had any sort of uh, programs um, for 
for teachers and, and people who work with kids, just like, you know, the nurses and doctors um, have a program and the pilots, you know, have their own meetings and stuff um, for people that have, you know, because um, I do think it's kind of a, a special um a special group because you guys have things, the pressure that you're dealing with, the multiple um, people that are coming at you with how you're supposed to be doing your job. <laughs> and that, um, and that a lot of us uh, can't relate to that in, in the magnitude of what you guys um, deal with on a daily basis. Like, you know, yeah, I would have my boss or, um, or people coming at me regarding my behavior. Um, but you have it, you know, yeah, well, times three at least. <laughs> you know? So, and if the kid has a family that's you know that has a split home, then you have you know both sets of parents and uh, everybody telling you how you're supposed to be doing things. And and I could see how that could definitely be a problem if um, if you were to to share. But um, I also you know think it would be really important to have groups that uh, that where you guys could talk to each other peer to peer. You know, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, but, you know, with other teachers, so. That's a great idea. Um, maybe they do have that in bigger cities. I have not heard of it, but I think it would be really beneficial. Um, yeah, like navigating those boundaries with kids has been interesting um, because they, you know, as teachers, they encourage us to model in the classroom as like an instructional strategy, like model um, the process of learning through like making mistakes and admitting it and correcting it. Um, and so I like to kind of carefully like model things for them also from my personal life because they are really interested in my personal life. They're always asking me questions. And I'm, I, most of the time I like put them off, you know, you got to keep those boundaries up to some extent. But, um, but I do share with them sometimes like, yeah, I dropped out of college and it took me 11 years to graduate, but you know what? I went back and I got a tutor and I did it. Um, I think that's really important for them to be able to see their teachers as human beings who have made mistakes and overcome them. And, you know, that's just like a part of life. Yeah. So we have a caller from area code 314. We'll go ahead and take that. Hello, how are you? Hi, it's, I'm good, Don. It's Diane. Hi, Sam. How are you tonight? Hi. Hi, I'm so glad this is my, this is my first one to tune in for this evening because I, I am a teacher. Um, and uh, your conversation has been interesting for me, um, Sam, because you're a teacher who's already in recovery. And I was a teacher while, and I am still a teacher, but I was an alcoholic while being a teacher. And um, I think that you hit it on the nose from the outside perspective, but I never realized it while I was on the inside, a drinker on the inside of the classroom, I guess I would say. Ironically, my school had a bar just about a block down the road and happy hour started at three o'clock and the buses rolled at 310. So we all easily walked. And, you know, the happy hour specials were good because they knew they had a school of about 40 teachers that would make sure they made happy hour probably four to five nights of the week. So, um, but I think Sam, you've done a great job represent, representing the, um, it, 
it's not an excuse to drink. And, and that's what I'm really working on right now for myself is that I'm not making excuses for why I drink because, and I've said in group even that, you know, I'm, I'm an adult. I make the decision to open that bottle. Nobody's forcing me to do that. But what was really easy was to go and hang out with my teacher friends and talk about kids and talk about lessons and talk sometimes about our principal, um, you know, whatever was on our, our mind that day. And it was really easy to do over a drink and then two drinks and then three drinks. And we all knew what kind of place we'd be in the next morning. And we just kind of learned how to open up that file the next morning and teach our lesson. Um, and no matter what kind of hangover state we are, we were in. Um, I taught elementary. So as far as having conversations about kids or with kids about alcoholism, it's not quite as probably prevalent as it is in your world, Sam, with high schoolers. But, um, you know, I think that looking back on that, it was a coping mechanism of what it was I, I did every day. Um, and then I moved into administration. And it's a whole nother level of political pressure on us in the academic world. And um, not the only reason I would open a bottle every night I got home from work. I have a lot of other baggage I bring to that, too. Um, but it was easy. And we all know that alcohol is that thing that takes us away from what's really going on in the world, in our in our own heads or out in the world around us. And um, I'm kind of hoping this pandemic helps the United States at least see that teaching isn't easy. I mean, how many parents have you heard from or heard saying, I, I don't know how teachers do this. You know, it's all over Facebook. Um, <laughs> but it's not an, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job. Um, and I think that um, being a teacher who was an alcoholic, or I am sorry, I am an alcoholic, but I'm not in the classroom anymore. So that does make it a little bit different. But being an alcoholic who's in education, um, there, there, there was a lot and is a lot that is on us that is out of our control a lot of times. And I think that that is all something that we talked about when we were drinking. And um, a lot of the things I've had to process because I probably didn't do my students the best justice those years I was in the classroom coming in, most likely still drunk the next morning. Um, and just within the last, when I started my sobriety, um, just almost two and a half, three, two and a half months ago, um, what hit me was when I was trying to run an, uh, an administration meeting and I couldn't get my words out. So I was shaking so bad because I was still, I was hungover and probably still drunk. And so that, at that moment, I thought a lot of things were hitting me at that moment, but one of them was, I'm not doing what I came here to do. And that just helped kids. And so I, I know there's a lot of teachers out there that drink and drink a lot and drink more than we should. And unfortunately, that what who's getting hurt the most probably are our students. So I don't know if that's what y'all wanted to hear, but that's kind of what I wanted to share. So oh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. You talked about how uh, because of the pandemic that uh, parents might appreciate teachers more. I think that's true. I'm noticing around my neighborhood signs like I've never seen before. We love our teachers. Our teachers are. <laughs> and I guess it's, it must be parents that are just going crazy with their kids at home. I suppose. <laughs> well, and welcome in recovery. Go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say, you know, welcome to being in recovery. This is, you know, an interesting time to, to try to, to you know, um, get help 
for, you know, drinking disorders and uh, drinking problems. Um, so, I, you know, I, I just wanted to welcome you and and uh, and thank you for calling. That took a lot of courage. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I hope, you know, even if you don't use the AA program, whatever, you know, uh, treatment you decide to go with, that um, that uh, you'll be able to, to get to the point where you can, you know, see what good you, you did and continue to do for the children and, um, and let go of, of the shame. Um, you know, children are very resilient. And uh, if you haven't seen the, the movie Resilience, it's, it's excellent on the different things that people are doing to help kids. Um, and so, yeah, so I just wanted to let you know that, that I really appreciate that you called. And, um, and I really hope that, uh, that you do find, you know, recovery um, because, it, you know, it sounds like you deserve it like the rest of us. So thank you. Well, the group that, you know, I've been in the group now in Kansas City where Sam is for, you know, two weeks now, and it's, it's really, really been helping me. So that, that has been a positive, and I'm so glad I got to hear Sam as your all host tonight. So thank you, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Diane. That was nice. Bye-bye. She's great. Yeah. I'm really glad she's in the meeting. Yeah. yeah. I find it so cool that um, we've got people coming – coming to our group for the first time when we're meeting online, you know, that's really, that's really interesting, you know? Yeah. They're, they're pretty remarkable people. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could have done that, but of course it was 1988. So I couldn't have done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should not do it because it didn't exist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this whole pandemic thing, good God. Um, so I, I don't know, Sam, in Kansas, are the schools going to be, are, do they, they're not going to be opening up for the rest of the year, are they? You mean the rest of the calendar year? Y- yeah. Um, we are not sure yet. We haven't gotten any certain direction from the state on that. Um, I, what I kind of anticipate is that the more densely populated districts may stay out at least through Christmas. Um, but I think that districts like ours may be able to go back just because, you know, we've had so few cases and we're so, um, such a small populated area. So that's my, that's kind of what I've heard, you know, around in the ether, but I really don't know for sure. I really, really, really hope we go back in August. I, do not like this at all. <laughs> no. You know, there's another teacher in our group, Jonathan, and he, um, I was talking to him about it, and he said that he, the online teaching wasn't going really well either. He didn't think so either. No. So that's 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 an interesting thing all in itself, you know, because, you know, you'd think that that's the future is, um, you know, doing things online like that. But I wonder what it is about it, Sam. Now you mentioned it's because for one thing, it's that kids don't have, you know, good internet access in their home. They might not even not, yeah. not have internet. Some, yeah, some of them don't. I know that that our you know girls are doing excellent <laughs> with it, and so, but they're they're very self directed, and we have a good internet connection, and you know we're both very uh, open and involved, and uh, you know interested in learning as well. So, you know, they've, they've learned to kind of teach us because they'll ask us a question and we'll ask what they think about it. And then we go from there. So, 
So yeah, so I, I think yeah. it, it really kind of depends on the on the kids and the area that you're in, um, whether or not it works. And particularly introverted kids, you know, it seems to be great because <laughs> they're like, yay, I don't have to go to school and and feel awkward, you know. Um, but uh, for a lot of kids who don't have that, you know, or kids who have alcoholic parents, you know, going to school is a refuge. And uh, and so you know, I'm hoping for those kids that will figure something out so that they can have a a better, safer learning and environment. We definitely have kids that aren't doing well, but they're mostly the kids that were always doing well. Right. Yeah. Like, like lots of good home lives and very self-directed. And even some of them have already been taking like online college classes. Right. But, you know, it's the kids that are either not doing well or kind of right on the edge that have kind of fallen off right. the radar. So mm. that, um, that's sad. Yeah. That's sad. So if there's anyone else that wants to call in, our number is 844-899-8278, and we'll be glad to take your call, If you, even if you're not a teacher. Uh, Jaron is writing in. He works at an elementary school, and he has two young kids at home. And he says, as, as both a coworker and a parent, he can vouch for these teachers working hard. They work hard, he says. And I knew they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad that our girls are older now because, um, yeah, if this happened, you know, when they were first learning Common Core, you know, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. No way I could help them with that. Well, and, so. and so much of like the learning now, you know, we want them to be collaborating with each other and, you know, to work on the social emotional skills, to be together. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much more that happens in a classroom than you know, reading something and writing a response and emailing it in, you know, there's just, there's just a magic in the classroom that you can't recreate over Zoom so far that I have found. That's interesting. That's, it's like an AA meeting too, in a way, you know, there's a lot that goes on, you know, the online meetings are great. It's good to have that, but there's that extra component that you kind of miss with the face-to-face connections. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that happens, you know, in a meeting that doesn't really have to do with what we're talking about sometimes. Maybe it's just maybe just seeing people in person means a lot. I never really thought about how much I appreciate that. Diane also says that she's seeing a spike in child abuse and couch surfing for her older students. Yeah. Yeah, I really think that school for many of these kids is kind of the safe place and uh, the structured place, you know, and they are still developing their, um, yeah, their impulse impulse control and everything. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised, uh, you know, on the news, the the percentage of kids that get their meals from school. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of kids that just aren't even getting their meals now, regular food. So, yeah. Tough well, I, I think in in some areas, I know in our area that um, that there are schools that are open for kids to get their food, um, and so they oh, can really? go and yeah, and they even opened it up so that you don't have to be um, like a registered student, so anybody can you know come, um, and the kids can you know get out and in line and, you know, six feet and all that kind of stuff, but grab a lunch and take it home. And it, some of them, you can get a box that will supply the child with um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, 
but again, I think it's the area that you live in and such. So Sam, what do you see for your future? What do you want to do going forward? Well, um, so even though I just finished school, I'm kind of already thinking about continuing on to add some endorsements um, to try to make myself a little bit more marketable. I am looking for teaching jobs closer to the Lawrence, Kansas City area. Oh, okay. That'd be yeah. nice. That'd be nice to have you close up here. Yeah, I would like to come home. It's been a good experience down there, but um, but yeah, I miss my community. It's a beautiful area down there, southeastern Kansas. A lot of people don't realize how nice that is. Are you in the Flint Hills area? Yes. Yeah, I yes. love it down there. It's really, really beautiful. If no one, if you haven't ever driven through that part of Kansas before, it's like from oh Emporia, Kansas, down to the Oklahoma border, I guess, just south of Wichita. It's the this Flint Hills area where it's just beautiful. Um, almost treeless areas. It's, it's like an ocean of grass, basically, in hills. You can just look and look and look and look forever, and it's just hills and rolling grass. It's mesmerizing, really. Yeah, I do love that about it. It's, yeah. It's but, of course, around here, we actually, you know, we have uh, other you know, have things to do here. This <laughs> 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 has an advantage. You know, I was down there yesterday, and I was I was actually cruising around with uh, – with a local uh, friend of mine and you know, he was so funny cause he was saying, I don't know what city people do for fun. You know, what do they do <laughs> to entertain themselves when, when they don't have all this to drive around and look at. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, Neil Montgomery says they run the regular bus schedule where he lives just so kids can eat. Wow, man. Amazing. I, I never really, it never really hit me. I didn't, well, I don't have kids or anything. And fortunately I, growing up, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about food. And we have someone from uh, Facebook making the comment. My son just finished university. There are issues with screen learning for some. I bought him the newest e-reader so he could save money, get his textbooks on PDF. He said that he just doesn't get the saturation of learned info on any screen e-reader or computer compared to what's comprehended and retained in person or from a physical book. By the way, I like physical books better too. He is a millennial, so it's not a generational thing. A study of law students, half got digital books, half got hard copies. The hard copy students, I think she's going to say did better. That's interesting. And we have a caller. We'll take this call. Hello. Hey guys, this is hey, this is Jaron from Madison. Hey Jaron, nice to hear from you again. How you doing? Oh, I just keep putting one foot in front of the other like everybody else. How about yeah. yourself? Oh, same thing. Same thing. So what are your thoughts yeah, on this topic? So, um, well, I've been working right now, so I kinda of been um getting a few minutes here, a few minutes there. So I you know, I apologize I haven't been in depth with the whole thing, but I just wanted to say that these to the teachers, you know, and the young lady that, uh, I, I know that I'm gr very grateful for, you know, what they do for us as parents. And, um, yeah, now that I have two young kids, so I work second shift and my kids are, uh, kindergarten and second grade. And my son struggles with reading. He struggled before the pandemic. So trying to get him on track, I mean, that's like an all day thing. You know, and this the, the pressure of having two kids screaming all day long, 
you know, trying to get their homework done the virtually, you know, I'm running from computer to computer. Oh, this is broken. That's broken. They're on different platforms. I'm uploading, reloading, downloading. I mean, it's a never ending process. <laughs> and then I got to go work at essential job still. And my wife's gone at her essential job. It's, and then being a sober person, it's unbelievably. And then there's no meetings that I go to, you know, in person and, you know, it's it's been in the 13 years I've been sober. This has been the hardest time, besides that initial like six to seven you know months. Uh, it, it's been just atrocious, you know. So as a teacher, I would like to know what do you say to a sober parent that's just overloaded, you know, and um, just like everybody else, I know that you know we're in this, we're in the. We're in the same storm. We're not in the same boat is what I've, I've heard from some people, you know, and I think that kind of rings true. So you got any suggestions for a stressed out parent here? <laughs> um, well, I would just say that I think teachers are very understanding of that situation and, you know, very flexible right now. So, you know, our guidance from the state was less is more and, you know, don't try to teach new content and just kind of give kids the basics. Um, so, you know, if teachers aren't doing that, that's, that's kind of a problem. Uh, but I think they, realize that it you know we realize that it's really difficult and um we'll take well we're making lots of uh exceptions <laughs> at the time you know we're being very you know i i used to never take late work and of course that's gone totally out the window and everything so things have things have definitely relaxed for the time being we just our main concern is that we don't want kids to be too stressed and anxious. We know that like the whole pandemic is probably weighing on them a lot and the lack of structure and everything. So I, I don't really know what to tell you, except that if, you know, if it's too much just to reach out to the teachers and let them know that they're struggling to keep up and I'm sure that they can make some kind of special arrangements. Yeah. I guess when I do my, in oh, sorry to cut you off, Jen. I guess when I do my inventory at night, I kind of think that, you know, maybe I'm just putting too much pressure on my kids. And when they, when things get frustrating, they can sense that. And then I feel bad and then they feel bad and that that's not a good place or uh, promoting active learning. You know what I mean? So maybe like you're right, less is more. And I think as alcoholics, we're intense people, you know, um, we want everything right away, instant gratification, whatever. And sometimes you got to let things breathe and, um, you know, so. Yeah, I would say just be kind to yourself. <laughs> just, yeah, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. I was going to say, Jaron, yeah. something funny. I was um, not, not all parents, I think, are as, as conscientious as you are. I was um, walking my dog a few weeks ago, and you know, there's a lot of kids around the neighborhood and so forth. And I just heard this one little kid um, say, remark something, says, well, my mom just told me that just to watch something educational on television, and that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And you see a lot of the parents that probably wouldn't take the time to do, you know, get all these platforms ready for their kids or to have lesson plans ready or print out all these things and scan them back to the teachers. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work. So, you know, it sounds like you're doing a really right, well, good job to me. I'm trying, you know, um, so I'd like, I just wanted to call in quick. I better get back to work and just say, you know, thanks. And, um, I really appreciate the show and you guys are doing a great job. So stay safe. Nice to hear from you. Yeah. Joe, um, here, uh, mentioned something that I read about too, that in his area, the buses drive out to rural areas and park to provide Wi-Fi um, to kids. I heard about that too, because, um, um, a lot of people that don't have Wi-Fi, like they'll go to schools and they'll park out in the parking lot to be able to get the public Wi-Fi from the schools. That's what some of our kids are doing too. Yeah, they're hanging out in the parking lot. And then uh, some of our teachers have actually opened up their homes and kids are coming over um, to to use their Wi-Fi to get their homework done. Yeah. Wow. You know... That there, a lot of people, there's that, that digital divide, you know, it's, it's like nowadays and in, in, in where we're the world that we're living in now, internet access and high speed internet access is really a necessity. It's almost like water and electricity. You know, you just about need it anymore. Um, I had a doctor's appointment today that was online, you know, so that's, yeah, just, I, I hope that does come out as, you know, one of the results of this is that, you know, access to the internet is viewed as a as a public necessity yeah Mm, i'd like to see something like the new deal for the 21st century where you know you kind of just say okay let's let's bring this country up to up to speed now to where it should be you know put Mm. you know well i think we need to vote people in that are gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) that's my plan (laughs) well i think that we've uh, filled the hour pretty well um again sam thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story and talking about this topic it inspired me to reach out to other professions i'd like to hear from doctors and lawyers and pilots and so forth um because these these professions you know they're they're the people the public thinks highly of these people and they think yeah i I don't want a drunk pilot i don't want a drunk doctor but you know they're out there (laughs) 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 <laughs> so <laughs> doesn't do any good to deny it i guess no it doesn't deal with it so well thank you so much it's been fun well let's see if i can do the right button this time there we go <laughs> and that's it that's another episode of aa beyond belief the podcast and thank you for listening thank you angela again and thank you sam I also want to thank all the people that have started uh, contributing on Patreon. Um, I really like to see these small recurring contributions. That is so helpful. Uh, we're getting more and more $1 a month contributions, and that that adds up. I really, really appreciate it. If you want to do that, just go to patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief, and you can set up recurring donations for a dollar, $5, whatever you want. And also, you can make donations, just a single donation or recurring donations on our website. I just click on the donate button. So thanks again, everybody. We'll be back again next week with another sober distancing episode of AA Beyond Belief.